My uh, friend, Pastor Brian Lodi, joining me on the stage. The first few days of seminary can be a little awkward. It's kind of like a middle school dance. You're getting to know everybody. You're, um, you know, learning about different people. Where has God called you? Where are you from? And I remember meeting my friend Brian here for the first time and just saying, hey, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. And he said, well, um, I have, I just left Florida State University where I was a tenured professor of child psychology and God is calling me to the ministry. And I thought to myself, well, I was the student body vice president uh, when I was in an undergrad. No, I, hopefully I didn't say that out loud, but I thought, um, I thought, wow, praise God. That, that, and that's how, just so you know, that's how, that's how God works. He calls people from all walks of life. And um, as I got to know Brian, he became a dear friend. And I've continued to see his faithfulness to God, to uh, follow God's calling in whatever. Um, he had a lot of opportunities out of seminary, and he, he, came, he chose to um, follow God's call and go to the land of Jonathan Edwards in New England in the Boston area and uh, plant a church, as you're going to hear about. So we have the privilege of hearing Brian preach the word. He's married to Lisa, who's with him today. They have two beautiful daughters, Maya and Morgan and Brian. Uh, it's a privilege to have you today, brother. Well, this morning we'll be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 7. Uh, But before we dig in, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be at your church uh, for the first time and and learning more about your church and how it began. I realized that your church started before I was a Christian. And uh, I am deeply encouraged by all that I'm hearing is happening here and, and your service of the gospel and in Teaneck and all the surrounding uh, areas. I've had the privilege to interact with some folks in this church over the past few years. Your missions committee has been an encouragement and a support to me. So I want to say thank you on behalf of our new congregation in Boston for your encouragement uh, to, to us. This area, Teaneck, is, I realized driving over here yesterday and crossing the Tappan Zee is not entirely foreign to me. I was born in New York, born in Poughkeepsie, uh, but didn't live there very long. My parents quickly moved to a little city called Howell, which is off of, I believe, exit 98 of the Garden State. I haven't seen it since I left it when I was about uh, age six. Middle school, uh, my dad was transferred from a job in New York down to Dallas, Texas, so I grew up in a city known as, uh, city known as City of Plano in the DFW uh, area, and then in middle school was transferred back, and I lived in Tappan for about a year uh, and a half. I spent a little over a year living in Washington Heights when I was finishing up graduate school in my first uh, career, so I feel like I've been all around Teaneck in this region, but only recently through my friendship with Josh and through your encouragement, I've had the privilege uh, to, to be here. So again, uh, thank you. I'm conscious of the fact that I'm a pastor in Boston preaching to folks from Jersey and New York, I will assure you that the gospel breaks down boundaries that are on one level comical, but on another level real. Our sports teams become our identity, don't they? And we can have feelings about people simply because of the jersey they wear or the hat they wear. And the the gospel has a way of breaking that down. But I want to assure you there will not be one sports illustration this whole time. 
I will not say one thing about Boston uh, sports. 2001, after I started uh, a job as a professor of psychology down at Florida State University, I was lonely, I was overwhelmed, I felt, some of you might relate, you start a job and you feel like an imposter. I had these doctoral students and I thought, what do I know? I mean, I'm 27 years old, what do I really know about caring for a doctoral student? Uh, Undergraduates, I felt just utterly out of my league. I was single, I wanted friends outside of the university, so I began to volunteer with a local kids organization uh, and uh, met some folks. And what struck me looking back on that is while I was trying to meet folks and perhaps do a little bit of volunteering, another man was volunteering to meet folks so that he could sacrificially engage them and share his life and even his faith with them. A man befriended me quickly, asked me to go out and eat, shared the the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is with me, and I saw it for the first time as truth. I became a Christian shortly after that conversation. Knocked sideways, not sure if I could stay at Florida State or not stay at Florida State. All sorts of pressures on me, and God was gentle and faithful to provide friendships and discipleship through a local, uh, a local church. Met my wife, the woman who would become my wife, uh, not long after that. We were married not long after that. Seven years later, through all sorts of prayer and counsel, uh, we felt... Uh, God calling us away from that first career uh, into full-time vocational ministry. My story is full of anxiety, mistakes, messes. Uh, I would say uh, the one thing that's clear, if anything happened uh, good in all of that, it was God providing uh, for me. Uh, 2012, after graduating from seminary where we went and got to know the Deshes so well, I'm thankful that they're a part of your congregation. Uh, we were called to help a wonderful church, Christ the King uh, in Boston, who had been planting congregations in the distinct communities of Boston. Boston. You don't say you're from Boston. You say what part of Boston you're from. And what's wild, the longer I live in Boston, you don't even say what part of Boston you're from. You say what street you live on. I live on Fletcher Street in Roslindale. And uh, Christ the King had been looking at this area in the southwest portion of Boston, kind of a sleepy, quiet area, just off the subway line, just before you get to the suburbs. 30,000 or so people live in in my immediate neighborhood, and we serve a neighborhood of close to that same number uh, that I can walk three houses and enter into as these neighborhoods are like a patchwork uh, together. It has been a whirlwind since our family decided to go to seminary. It has been a whirlwind since we moved uh, to Boston. Uh, We were told this will be a hard, slow work, and it is a hard, slow work. Rarely do we have someone go, hey, I saw your website, and I wanted to stop by. Rarely do I hand someone a card and then think, I want to stop by. Our day-to-day work is loving neighbor as self and praying that God will grow our relationships unto his glory. It is exciting to be there. But when I grow discouraged, and the days I grow discouraged, I get perspective from so many parts of Scripture, but perspective, in terms of today's passage, from the likes of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called as a young man to be a prophet who would deliver a ridiculously difficult message to a nation that he loved. 
At the time that Jeremiah was ministering around the 7th century BC, the northern portion of nation, nation Israel had already been destroyed by a warrior group known as the Assyrians. And his task was to prophesy that the southern portion would be destroyed by another group, the Babylonians, in a series of three waves of attack and deportation of the Israelites. He was told not to marry. He was told to preach and that people wouldn't listen to him. He saw little fruit in terms of responsiveness to his message, and he watched a city that he adored destroyed. The Israelites knew that God had established them as a people to be a light to the nations. He watched as that nation was deconstructed and shipped off hundreds of miles to the east to Babylon. After the second wave, around 597 B.C., after the second wave of attack and second wave of deportation, when the king and thousands of others were marched away, they got to Babylon, and false prophets were telling them, don't get too comfortable. Just lay low, bide your time. You're coming back quickly. God's going to bring you back quickly. Jeremiah was given a different word, a true word, to send to the people via letter to encourage them in what it means to live faithfully as exiles under God's glory. And I wonder what that letter might have to say to me, to you, uh, today. So here are the very words of the Lord from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Let's pray. Father, a thousand years are but a day to you. Uh, As Christians, this is our family history. Father, would you teach us from this ancient letter to an exiled people? Teach us more of the glory of Christ and what it means to follow him and live faithfully for him in our communities. It's in Christ's name we pray. Why are you living where you live? When was the last time you thought of that question? Why are you living where you live? How are you living where you live? And that may be your city, that may be your neighborhood, that may be your street. If you think about it, and and don't try and make an impression, you might think, my job brought me here. The school system brought me here. The rich cultural opportunities that this area provides brought me here. Do you think you're in control of where you live and how long you'll live there? Jeremiah wrote this letter. He was the mouthpiece of God speaking to these exiled Israelites who had seen their hopes dashed They were the nation that was supposed to show people the Lord, and now they're exiled in Babylon. It would be easy to despair. 
And Jeremiah writes to them this letter teaching them what it would look like to live faithfully as exiles. What does that have to tell us about why we live where we live and how we live where we live? This theme of exile is robust. It's big in Scripture. If you've never studied it, it's a big theme in Scripture. For example, we're looking at the Old Testament, Jeremiah. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter wrote a letter, 1 Peter, to displaced, exiled Christians in the Roman Empire. And he said these words to a people who were facing persecution as a minority, non-citizens in the Roman Empire who were uh, or displaced exiles who were facing persecution. He said this in 1 Peter 2, 9 and following. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You may feel weak, you may feel small, you may feel outnumbered. You are set apart by God. You are a nation unto him. You have an identity that is secure in the face of all these cultural currents. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are put there for a purpose. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, temporary residents, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why do you live where you live? How do you live where you live? What an opportunity as a Christian to live in such a way that others would see your good deeds and know the Lord who you profess, whether you feel small and weak or massive in number. What did it mean to the ancient Israelites to live as exiles? What does it mean for us to have an exile mindset? Just one more thing before we dig deeper into that. Verse 4 is worth its own sermon. Verse 4 has a profound theological truth in it, and I just want to commend it to you. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those Nebuchadnezzar carried away to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. No. Says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's providence is spoken of boldly in this passage. Imagine being an Israelite in exile, hearing that warrior king was just an instrument. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were just an instrument. God told us to turn from our infidelity. God told us exile was coming. It is he who has sent us into... He is in control. In the words of of an old catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, God's providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Do you believe that you're on your street because your realtor put you there? Or because God put you there? Probably yes, but which is primary? Which is secondary? Why are you living there? How do you get to live there? Do you believe that whatever you're going through right now, There is a God who is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love who invites you to trust in him and live for him, even if you're living among others who despise you for your faith. Even if you're living 
among your captors, nation Israel. This is tough stuff. As, I, as I've been studying this passage more and more, I've been convicted, uh, convicted of how I play it safe, of how I struggle to live with a mindset commended here. What does it mean to live as an exile? If I were going to have points, there's two, and they're quick. I see Jeremiah telling these Israelites, be rooted and be engaged for God's glory. Be rooted and be engaged for God's glory. I already mentioned that there were false prophets speaking into this situation. The chapter right before chapter 29 talks about a prophet, Hananiah, who said in two years, we're going to start bringing all this stuff. God's going to bring all this stuff back. In other words, don't settle there. You're about to come back. Jeremiah had already told the people, you're going to be there for decades. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. And here he tells them, build roots. Don't lay low and bide your time. Build, plant, marry, multiply. Build houses, plant gardens, marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Be fruitful and multiply even in captivity unto God's glory. Don't eye the exit. Serve him for however long you're there. First, by being rooted in time and space as his creatures. Shortly after our family moved to Boston in 2012, I don't remember exactly how many weeks or days. I remember walking down the street, just meeting different neighbors. I bumped into a man who lived a few houses down for me, and we started talking, and I said, how, how long have you been in Boston? And his answer, and I kid you not, was not long, 22 years. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness. How long have you been in Boston? Eh, six weeks, not long. <laughs> how am I going to connect with someone who thinks they haven't lived in Boston, and I don't think was being sarcastic at all, who had lived there for 22 years. I'm just a newbie. I'm a sojourner. I'm a temporary resident. This guy has seen people like me come and go with great vision. I'm sure he's probably met other pastors. In my time in Boston, I've already seen people come and go. You, know, you understand transients in, in, in Teaneck and the surrounding areas. How do you connect? How do you get rooted to a people, old Boston, new Boston, old Teaneck, new Teaneck. I've learned a lot from some friends of mine that I met while I was still teaching down at Florida State. I was worshiping at a church, and this family showed up, and they connected. They came to worship, and not long after they came to worship the first time, they showed up at what you call a growth group, what we called community groups. And then they showed up again, and again, I thought, in my mind, I'm thinking, don't, this is not the way this works. You come to our church, you look around, you go, hmm, I wonder if there's a better one. And then you go visit another one. You know, maybe there's a better one. Better time, different style. You don't come and stay at the first church you visit. This is a huge commitment. What are you doing? And that's what they did. And as military, they had moved so much that they decided when we move to a new city, we're not going to be extra picky. We're going to look to plug in for however many months we have and to live as if we're going to be there a long time, even though we may only be there a few months. Some of you in this room may only be in this area for a few more months, a few more years, but you can still live with that mindset that you could be here longer. You live differently if you think you're going to be here longer. Do you not? 
I heard a pastor teach on this, so if anything novel comes out of the, this section of the sermon, credit it to another. I heard a pastor once teaching on the call of the Christian in spaces like Jersey and New York and Boston as the call to live with this exile mindset, to, the call to live in a space, different from a space, and for a space. Why are you living where you live? Do you find yourself thinking, I'm living in this area, on this street. I'm different from this area, different from this street, and I'm for this area. I'm for this street. I fall so short if that standard's even low. All right? So we can go a number of places. We can try and work harder. Uh, We're ultimately going to talk about how Jesus changes this conversation here in a moment. This same pastor said, you know, the call might be to be in and different and for an area, but the pull is to be a tourist. Wherever you live, what do tourists do? And I'm not knocking tourists. They come in and they're entertaining me. Let me take from you. Take, 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 take. And when it gets boring, leave. Ouch. How many cities have I? How do I do that even in Boston? Alternative approaches, same pastor has talked about this, to lay low, to just lay low, to buffer yourself. The culture seems hostile to my faith. The culture seems hostile to who I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build some walls. I'm going to interact, but hesitantly. Or what I see as a more dominant thing in Boston for Christians, the pull to just blend in, to just be undifferentiated, to enjoy it, to live among it, to be in it, but not really different from it, for it, kind of. Where do you fall with your neighborhood or your street? Where is your struggle? You're not alone. I often tell my people, if I start sounding charged up, just picture a mirror in front of me. Because I struggle with all of these things. You might hear all this and think, okay, build roots. I'm doing that. I'm glad to be reminded I'm doing I've lived in this area longer than you've been alive, Pastor. I've lived in this area for 22 plus years. I'm connected to all these different places. The question I keep hearing come back from Scripture to me is, for who? Who are you really living for? In the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. But the natural heart of men and women is, my kingdom come. And I'll give you my excess. Let me build my kingdom, and then I'll give you what's left over. Are you building roots for self or for God? Christian, if you're discouraged, that's why we have confession. If you're discouraged, that's why we have Jesus. Because this is not natural to do. This is not natural to our humanity, the Bible says. The Bible has some bad news that you have to understand before you get uh, to the good news. To live with an exile mindset is to be rooted but verse 7 also shows it's to be engaged. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Captors, pray for your enemies. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This phrase, peace and prosperity, is two words here. It's really one Hebrew word, and, and it's a big one. And it's going to be familiar to many of you. Shalom. Shalom. That does mean peace. That's a great translation, but it also means harmony. It means completeness. It means things working as they're intended to work, as they were intended to work. I like the translation welfare. 
to an ancient Israelite, certainly they would hear uh, bringing uh, relational harmony where there is conflict, that shalom to an ancient Israelite would first and foremost be mending disunity with God, conflict with God, bring shalom vertically with God, that I may live that out horizontally with my neighbors. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love neighbor as self, seeking to preserve the reputation, the character, the relationships around us. Jesus said, be salt and light. Salt, be a preserving influence in the culture around you. Be light, one who's not pointing to yourself, but shining the light on true shalom, God and his rescuing work. That's the ideal, but the default, uh, let me say this, this, this final portion, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That can sound really self-serving, like I'm going to give to the YMCA so that my kids have good programs and I'm all good. That's not what's implied here. Another translation puts it this way. Seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That in seeking the welfare of others, you find your welfare. That's the ideal. That's loving neighbor as self. But the default, the default I, I honestly wrestle with in my own heart is seek my welfare and then give out of the increase or the abundance to the welfare of those around me. God is inviting us into true humanity. He came to rescue a people that they might be truly human, which is loving him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving neighbor as self, forgetting yourself, seeking the welfare of others, and finding your welfare in their welfare. That's what 1 Peter is getting at when it talks about being a kingdom of priests. Priests intercede for, they lift up others, they sacrificially engage and care for one another, modeling that true humanity, but unable to do it in their own strength. Are you living on your streets with an exile mindset? Think if I pin down anyone on this, they would give after a while. Yes and no. No. You know what? No. I'm giving out of my abundance. I'm building my kingdom. I struggle. I can't do this. That's a good place to be, the scriptures would say, getting to the point of, I can't do this. Why would I do this? How would I do this? Give me a vision for this. Give me strength for this, because this sounds pretty good in a culture of self that says it's all about us and what we feel and what we want. The Bible starts with some really bad news, and many people put it down in the opening chapters. I certainly battled that. I came to faith as a 28-year-old, and the bad news sounded too bad for me. The Bible starts and talks about our first parents, Adam and Eve, being exiled, and actually makes the claim in so many words that every human being is born in exile. Exiled from God, separated from God. Adam and Eve did the one thing God told them not to do, and what did he do? He sent them out of the garden. He sent them out of their home. Their relationship with him was broken. And guess what? They couldn't fix it. Their proneness would be to seek that sense of home and other things, work and family and leisure, but there'd always be this underlying emptiness. If you're here and you're not a Christian, 
I remember getting my degree, starting my first job, and feeling just as empty as before I had it. And wondering, what, what am I looking for? The scriptures would say home. Restored relationship with God. That peace, that shalom you're looking for, temporary band-aids of work success. You need to be brought home. And you can't do it yourself. Without God, you're stuck seeking your own welfare and giving out of your abundance, right? But in love, God the Father sent God the Son to be what many have called the supreme exile. God the Son came. He relinquished his rights and unveiled glory in the heavenly realm to step into a world that said, we don't need you. He told his followers, I have nowhere to lay my head. The scriptures say that for the joy set before him, the one through whom all things were made endured the cross for those he would call friends, exiles who trust in his rescuing work alone, exiles who say, look, I have offended God, I have rebelled against him, I deserve exile, but Jesus took the punishment of my rebellion upon the cross and offers me adoption through his rescuing work so that I can come home. I'm on a pilgrimage with King Jesus to a world made new where shalom upon shalom upon shalom will exist for all eternity. Jesus was the supreme exile. He was rooted and he was engaged and he was exiled for us Christians. And if you truly want to love neighbor, it's not about mustering up your own strength. It's about understanding more the beauty of his rescuing work and praying for his strength, for the Holy Spirit to move, that it would take deeper root and you would long to follow. Long to see that your primary citizenship isn't Boston, it isn't Teaneck, it isn't the surrounding cities, it's the kingdom of God. Your identity is in Christ. It cannot be shaken when you lose that job or you lose that family. That's worth engaging people for. That's worth being rooted for, no matter how long you live on your street. Who do you get to invite? Who do you get to invite to that reality? Who do you get to engage this week or the next week with the truths of who Jesus is? Remember me, 2001 utterly lost and lonely and discontent professor performing, trying to perform at the highest levels, who was engaged by a man who knew what he was doing, who had prayed about and thought about actually serving the community with saying, Lord, open up opportunities to meet folks. I am so thankful that God brought Bob into my life. And I wonder if there aren't people that you are going to reach in the same way by his strength and for his glory. Think concretely about your neighbors, folks. People get really abstract about this. Think literally when you go home today. Who lives to the left? Who lives to the right? Who lives to the front? Who lives to the back? Who lives up? Who lives? Do I even know their names? Don't despair. See opportunity. Not to pressure, not to bully, not to coerce, but to just get to know and live with that exile mindset. There's real freedom and joy in dying to self in that way. It starts on your porches, in your living rooms, at the local Y, at the shops, thinking about why you're going there before you even go there. And it is hard work, and it may not seem like there's fruit, but would you dare to pray 
that the Lord would give you more of that exile mindset and give you opportunity to share your life for him. There's so much joy in that. You have the opportunity to pray, listen, and sacrificially get You've been doing it, and you get to do it more in the years to come. You get to pursue others as the Lord pursued you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you uh, for the bridegroom who was rooted, engaged, and in fact exiled for us. We thank you that he rose from the grave, that we are more than conquerors in him. And we just pray, Father, for your strength, for your guidance, for your direction. We pray that we would be rooted and engaged with our neighbors for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.